Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Um. All right, friends. Welcome Get back. Get ready for some awesome. Can I, can I talk now? Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to start the show with There's that. a ministry that has followed God's particular leading the past year or two, focusing on work with others to care for and share the gospel around the Mediterranean Rim with displaced Muslims. This ministry has cast vision and developed collaborative strategies among churches and missionaries for an exciting opportunity that God has created. This ministry is Missions Resource Network. If you don't know them, their work is to help disciples make disciples worldwide. They do this through working with churches and missionaries globally. Check them out, mrnet.org. That's Missions Resource Network. Do you know that they were over in Greece the same time we were? Dan Bouchon. In Athens. Yeah, you remember that? I wanted to meet with them, but you said I don't have time for displaced oh, are you people from the Mediterranean me? Rim. You don't care about <laughs> helping disciples make disciples worldwide. I do. Mm-hmm. Is that why you're doing this pro bono? This uh, I do it for sponsorship for bono for for bono <laughs> for, for bono's <laughs> new album that I'm going to have money to buy the CD with. Um, yeah, that's why I do it. I do it for the people. Is that is that where you made this connection? to MRN uh, through me? No, as you know, known, they have been sponsors, uh, I think, one, two, uh, multiple times before. Oh, that's true. That's true. I, I wonder if maybe when they saw that you were in Greece, they thought, we'll give this kid one more chance. So you are talking about Greece now. Is that? Do you feel like a, a huge lie has been removed from your soul? We're only as sick as our secrets, Brene Brown would tell us. Do you feel a little less sick than you were just uh, a month ago? Um, no, I don't. I, two months ago, I felt really sick um, <laughs> just because of where I was and who I was with. But mm. I, I'm better now. Well, you know, get around healthy people. That's nice. That's yeah, that's it is. Nice. But you know, you gotta you gotta reach out. You gotta do missionary work. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my mission trip was you. My um, my mission trip was helping a poor, lonely soul in a big, big world where there's a lot of questions that he didn't know the answer to. That sounds like a great movie. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Helping the homeschooler. Luke and Jonathan's trip to Greece. So I, I, I would recommend traveling with homeschoolers because we're great, like chastity belts. <laughs> <laughs> so you you want to you want to tell them about the time we were eating at the cafe? You make it sound like I'm like Solomon, like with a thousand concubines or something. That's a t- no. I'm not like. First off, I would never tell a story in which you would sound like Solomon. Okay, thank you. There's a lot worse characters that I would try to paint you as. Um, okay, so there was a conversation. We were. Um, in Athens, and we were in between shooting, and we stopped and got lunch, and the tables were literally like right next to each other, and then um, the table next to us was two young ladies, and they said hello or said some kind word to the strangers next to them. And Jonathan, you can we're really cl- it's like you're eating with these people because it's so compact, yeah. and so we're talking about like the next video shoot or whatever, and mm-hmm. um. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I want to hear you say it. Um, what, what happened? One of them said to us, "You, you, you guys know what's happening tonight." 
and I, I, I think I turned and said, "Are you, are you talking to me, <laughs> or what? Do you, what did you say to me? <laughs> Something like that. Like it was just so. <laughs> I, I did not have a frame of reference <laughs> for." Um, oh, Leslie! And after they left, you were like, "You are truly not of this world," or something like that. <laughs> <It was>. um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was you, Jonathan. Um, it was a special moment, almost as special as when you were walking around the Acropolis, where it was extremely heavily congested, and you have your GoPro right in front of your face, <laughs> and you do this line about the first century, on the eve of Easter morning, Christians would disrobe and take off all their clothes. Take off, you had to say it twice, disrobe and take off all their clothes. It's the same thing, um, <laughs> in case you didn't know. Have you read the Psalms? There's that, that parallelism. Yeah, well, you just like put a lot of emphasis on that syllable. They disrobed, and there's a girl walking right next to you who just looks at you and goes, oh, what, what are you... It's, it's, <laughs> I, I, that was, I started like to say that quieter, because I filmed that in lots of different places, but I did start saying that that part of it quieter when I would yeah but you know you're so committed to what you're doing you believed in the the sermon which you you preached for the first time uh, a couple days ago yeah I did and you have not (laughs) yeah we had a little bit of uh, rain delay on the old service because of uh, (coughs) Harvey and so we had to uh, postpone it a week because we had no power you wanted to listen to how it it sounded (laughs) so you could you had no power? Yeah, we had no power all day on Sunday. Nice. <laughs> so yeah, we didn't have power, and so I didn't get to preach the sermon, but I did do it on Thursday, and I didn't have the series logo anywhere, obviously, in the room. It was just no slides, so they didn't know what the series was about. And so I play that first clip at the, like five minutes into the sermon, and it ends with saying, Christians make the best atheists, and the whole room's like, wait, what? What did you say? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on yeah. here? So it, um, it did what we were looking for. Did I tell you what, when we played the promo video at Highland the week, the, on August 20th, never, we were, everybody was like kind of, you know, mixing and talking. And it's really, it's a good thing, but it's hard to get people to like come out of that because they're like, you just told me to go meet somebody. Yeah. And, you know, 30 seconds later, but so it, when uh, the first 10 seconds of the video, you know, I'm on the Parthenon, that's pretty cool. But people are still talking and stuff. And as soon as I say Christians make the best atheists, just yeah, yeah, yeah. People are interested. Yeah. Well, we'll see if anyone's interested next Sunday. They probably heard the podcast and they ruined their experience. So way to go. Yeah, I was just thinking about all those Christians meeting across the world, you know, in secret mm-hmm. because they're having to, you know, they could get thrown in prison or executed or those. Christians meeting in North Korean prisons, mm-hmm. and um, you guys not meeting because of a little rain. Well, thinking of the catacombs, mm-hmm. and I bet they had power. I bet they had. I'm sure they did. Power. They probably had like mobile batteries or something. They they plugged the air conditioners to or generators. Actually, that's probably what it was. Just a generator. <laughs> yeah, and, something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you for that. Um, Hebrews ten twenty five. Yeah, man. we but we. It is kind of like a big deal, like the, like the biggest storm that's happened in hundreds of years. And 
It's, sure. We uh, today was uh, first day of school in Austin too. For real? Yeah, I mean they almost canceled. I mean they didn't cancel. The, the school next door to us postponed school by two hours today. Uh, my daughter said the first day of school, and almost there was like some question if it's going to happen or not. It would have been canceled if school started on a Sunday <laughs> instead of a Monday, but it doesn't. So anyway, we did the we once canceled for it being too cold. Mm. That's in Abilene. That's nice. So. How uh, how. That was a Wednesday. <laughs> How are your kids' teachers this year for school? They like them. They're good. Yeah, better than last yeah. year. I heard a lot of bad things about those from last year. <laughs> no, they love them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um. All right. Let's do the podcast. So we've got uh, Jeremy Courtney, uh, we've Kent Dobson, Sean Adams, uh, and then we've got the Beck Wade tag team. So. Um, Let's start. Let's start with Kent Dobson. Like I know th- okay. this is just like your favorite kind of guest. Like I was really conservative. Now I'm liberal, and this is just your sweet spot. So have you ordered the book already? Well, hold on. Why is this my sweet? I just spot? know. Like I know you. This is this is when you go. Like you know what? It's not so bad to be a fundamentalist. Let's let's swing him back over. <laughs> Let me talk to you about inerrancy. So I am a contrarian more than I am whatever this kind of character you're creating over here. Um, so I, there, there is part of me that, you know, hears that story. I just hear it so often that I want to poke some holes in it. But I liked, I liked him more than I thought I would. The only thing I knew about him was that the way he fired himself that one Sunday. Do you think part of it, though, is there's a little bit of jealousy because he and, like, Rob never gave him a restraining order, and (laughs) you wanted to be him. Like, you did at some point. I mean, Rob actually was, like, his PR person for this book. Like, he emailed me and said, hey, have Ken on the podcast. And I know that just causes a great deal of heartache for you because Rob never did that for the... I would have never let Rob down (laughs) (laughs) I would have been there forever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so you you heard? Did you re- have you ever heard of the bow and arrow theory? It's like the reactionary stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the further you're pulled back from the, you know, like conservative evangelical fundamentalist stuff, the further you fly. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it it happens all the time. It happens because. You know, once you start realizing, like, oh, you poke a hole in that, and you poke a hole in this, and what can be trusted, and then you, you, you know, it's construction, deconstruction, reconstruction. Yeah. Um, but um, so a lot of a lot of that was not not surprising stuff. I liked the, like I said, I liked him more than I thought that I was going. What to. What made you think you wouldn't like him? <clears throat> well, the only thing I knew about him was that that one sermon in which. Um, y'all talked about it on the thing, but you know, I just found myself drawn to the edges. Edges. I'm not interested in the center, and and part of the here's okay. So here's one of the things that I thought when I immediately heard it is how Christian of you, how Christian of you, like you're you're not you're not being edgy. This is this is orthodoxy. The stuff that you're talking about is um, so. There's a straw man of like. Um. You know, I'm not interested in talking about doctrine. Okay, well, there's your doctrine. Um, you know, it, it's it's like a, a, a shuffle of, like a little bit of um, 
what Rainy here is called psychic math. What you know, you give and take away, your smoke and mirrors hmm. kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, being drawn to the edges and the margins, um, that sounds like Christian orthodoxy. And the being dismissive of of like the faith as we have inherited it um, isn't exactly helpful because I think it. Well, how are you going to get your grandkids to be drawn to the margins? Yeah. So here's here's my thing for that podcast. I would love to have had another friend of the show, Andy Crouch, on there to talk about institutions and why um, those those things that he cares about so much aren't antithetical to institutions. In fact, one of the best ways to live your life and contribute to human flourishing is to create a way for that pattern of life to pass on from generation to generation. Well, I don't think he, okay. And we can't talk about Kent cause he's not here. Uh, and this is stuff that's not in the book, but I don't think he's moving away from a way of like Jesus. I don't, I think there's sure. Yeah. I, I got that. I mean, that's, that's, but there's also ways to to like criticize certain forms of institution and certain ways of of doing institution that when they become the only option when x mega church is the only way to do church i think that devalues the stuff that is f- functionally in our culture on the edges of christianity and while in the the bigger sense of the word what is christian um, it's not, but American Christianity and Christianity is not the same thing. Right. Oh, yeah. So, of course. Um, I don't think that was... Uh, I mean, I'm trying to go back and remember the conversation in my head. The, the what, what was the thing that he said when he was getting up there? And by the way, I... I have you ever had Sundays like like that where you wanted to just you know, I'm done with this I'm out go off yeah yeah, yeah. which is like God, what are we doing here <laughs> is this worth it I mean I I definitely have sympathy with him on yeah, that and, level and you can't disassociate the experience of doing something professionally from what the actual thing is I mean there will be times that if I was a sports guy like Sean I'd be like you know what it's Monday morning I don't want to talk about football <laughs> like what what's the point of talking about football. You would have that sort of professional ennui about it, and I think you have to put the human element in. Like you have human people who are leading this, and so that is a human experience. And okay, that's fair. Like everyone would have had or has had that if you were in that same situation. I get that. And this was the so when the book first comes out, I like I see Tony Jones ran that clip from the sermon, and the like hey, we're really liberal. Like, I used to be really conservative. Now I'm really liberal. Like, those books literally come in every week to my office. And part of me is just like, I I get that story. I'm not interested in it. It, it, If it just, yeah, I used to be conservative. Now now I'm liberal. Yeah, okay. That's kind of trite. I was hoping, and this is what I think, I think he pointed out some other things that um, that are in play that maybe we don't always talk about. And... Like, I, I, I get the tension of, what is it he said? Preaching sometimes requires you to bend the truth. Do you remember him saying that? Oh, yeah, I do, I do. Um, but I think that's the human element of yeah. it. Like, that's just, have you? Yeah, um, so, 
yeah, I wanted to hear what you thought about that. Like, what what was your what was the thing that you said back to that? Because this this was the thing I wanted to talk I about. I don't remember what I said, but probably something to the effect of, <clears throat> I don't feel like I've ever uh, bent the truth by preaching. And then, I don't have, do you do you feel like you ever have? No, I I think what he was trying to say. Gosh, what was it? Because that was that was a, a, the thing I wanted to talk about. If there's, do you, do you lie if when there's you only some way for you to know that we were going to talk about this podcast, you could have prepared for I don't know how. Like there's, maybe I should text yeah. you. Okay, do you, but you feel like you never have done that. Um, no, I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what he meant by that. Like he said something to clear it up. Like uh, you can't say everything that you think. Yeah. yeah. I mean – that you you frame it the, a certain way. You're trying to be a community of reconciliation, yeah, and you and you so, speak for an entire leadership group. And leadership doesn't always right. match individuals. Yeah, I mean, so in a very general sense of the word, like there are times that as a leader, anyone would have to say something that isn't exactly their their perspective for the sake of the institution. Yeah, okay, that's again, that's the human element of being a leader in a church, not a church thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe so back to your thing on the American institution or the kind of what the uh, what has evolved the thing about institutions is I think institutions are really good and really bad and if you can't critique them they almost always go really mm-hmm. bad so definitely not saying that what it means to be a part of an institution is to join up and shut up because I think you know than yeah. people and but generally speaking in my world I don't have that I don't have people just silently complying as they pass on toxic things from generation to generation um, I have people wrestling and trying to figure and, out and that's kind of the Judeo-Christian way I mean right Judaism created a a place for the prophet to criticize and criticize in the, in the healthy sense of the word. Here's what I, I remember I wanted to say about that podcast. And you're going to make fun of me because it's G.K. Chesterton, but he brought up orthodoxy, okay? So Chesterton's book, this most famous, is called Orthodoxy. And it's when he became a Catholic. Um, and basically he said, I set out to start a religion of my own. One that was just right, which you know would help the world, but also... I mean, just, he laid out all these things, full of joy, life affirming, you know, all these things. And when I finally put the lat, crossed the last T and dotted the last I, I realized I had created orthodoxy. Hmm. That basically, one of the one of my challenges to people with the bow and arrow effect, um, and that can go both ways. I mean, I uh, I think the the neo Nazi rally that you're seeing in some ways is the bow and arrow effect the other direction but the um one of my challenge challenges is do you really know what the center of the christian faith is and it's not it's not the religious right i mean even by the terms we use for it that's a margin Mm -hmm. thing you know the the center of the christian faith is um or the the big thing that is orthodoxy is not um about one particular issue, it's not about, I mean, it is this paradoxical God that, you know, that, that's that's the kind of stuff that 
I think gets misplayed as people go from one end to the other. And really what they're reacting against is the center of American Christianity, not Christianity in the bigger sense. And ha- right, and and not even American Christianity, because American Christianity is, uh, I mean, you got mainline evangelical yeah. Catholics. Catholics are a huge portion of it. Charismatics. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um. Okay, so you don't feel like you've ever lied, preaching. You've never felt like preaching required you to lie. Um. Besides the time you told a story in your sermon that your daughter correctly interrupted you and said that didn't really happen. <laughs> She was so wrong. If, uh, yeah, no, I'm trying to think. Yeah, like sometimes stories, that's not, that's like not. somebody would will say something and uh, maybe help them say it a little better. That's just storytelling. Um, right, right. <laughs> I mean, it's just storytelling one on one. When you tell a story, you are but engaging you, in the art of what Kent Dobson said I, is lying, which is like to leave out certain things. And yeah. I mean, he was doing that like to be provocative. So I'm not yeah. bashing that language, okay. but. I don't, no, I don't think I. I don't think I would say that. But I have, I have like ignored certain things because it didn't make the point, or it would be confusing, uh, or you know, I do that every nah, Sunday. That's just communicating. Nah, I don't. Okay. What about no, you? I don't feel. I think your definition of line is tedious. I like that kind of stuff. Just yeah. I, of course you do that. Uh, when I tell a story about one person, it's not like another person wasn't in the room and didn't say something, but I'm making an editorial decision. That's not lying, but I think the grand scale deceit of the wall is black when really it's like turquoise. Like that's the kind of lie that, like when you look and say, this is true, but really it's false. Well, so that's what... You know, maybe he's, maybe the context of him talking about it was when you don't, believe something that's they have it. to say. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. Was that it? Yeah. And um, I haven't had that experience yet, but part of that is because I'm at Highland. I've never had, to, I got to follow Mike and he laid some groundwork with saying things that were, you know, about yeah. doubt and... Creating so, a, a culture of honesty that enables it. I, w- I wonder how a Kent Dobson how how it would do for their soul if they preached at a church like but, this. I mean, he was at Mars Hill, which... You're right. You're right. That's right. But it's still, I mean, Highland or, you know, Churches of Christ are not American evangelical. So you know, much. I had someone uh, from down under, st- he started a podcast, had something with uh, BZ, Brian Zahn on it. And then he got a bunch of pushback from a bunch of Calvinists at his church uh, through social media. And he's like, how do you, how have you done this and not get like pushback? And I was like, our tribe doesn't have the Calvinists in them. Like we have other issues that are a big deal to us, but th- this kind of stuff is, you know, it's allowed to be talked about. Like it's, and it's allowed to be part of our understanding of what God is and how Christianity works. So mm. yeah, I think our, where we are is a little different. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of where I am, Someone who's also from Austin, Texas, Jeremy Courtney. Yeah. Let's talk about him. Impressive guy, man. Yeah. I I don't know if I tweeted this or I emailed him and said this, but that was the most haunting conversation I've ever had. It, mm. it just stayed with me. The conversation just... Uh, 
Yeah, like it, it did, it, it was different than other conversations. And I, obviously when you have someone who's in Iraq talking about having attacks on their family being uh, out there and seeing death and destruction in a very real way, that's part of it. Uh, but also the sense that, like, we talk about the, the ability to live in doubt and complexity and uncertainty, but he functions at a different level where his entire livelihood and his family's safety is, is all in this weird gray area that he's okay with. And that seems very perplexing to me. Yeah, I, I think he, his point about how once you get out of the cocoon that is the, the safety that we just are used to, that it becomes a different, you know, it, it's not as uh, intimidating. Mm-hmm. You know, that I, I, I appreciated that. I've heard that from other missionary friends as well. Um, what I liked about, I mean, I, I liked his kind of evolution, you know, coming there. Uh, I, he, he goes there because he's going to be the Apostle Paul and he's going to be right and he's going to fix all these people and you know I don't know maybe he read the Irresistible Revolution when I did and he just didn't have kids or he had more courage and he went to Iraq or something but whatever that was a that's a really impressive thing to do when you're 21 years old and just married okay so I asked him a question about um, you know how's your faith sustained or how's your faith survive this entire time having to see so much and he said i don't know if it has and i was kind of yeah it had been yeah sustained. i was like I, I was a little bit dumbfounded by that um <laughs> I don't, you're not supposed to say that yeah i was like this this is not how it's supposed to go here um this is not good for fundraising <laughs> but i appreciate the the rawness of it and oh yeah but his his line of so i think i said something about how it would be so difficult for me to see that and to keep faith. And he said, honestly, that's not the same issue because there's a level of agency that they have to actually be able to do mm-hmm. something. And when you're paralyzed by a sense of, I can't make a difference, I can't do anything about it, so I just live in this sort of mental anguish of just bouncing these ideas around my head of, how can this terrible stuff happen if God is loving the world? Instead of going, how can I love the world because of God? Yeah, so when, when y'all got into that, it did make me think about the way um, the internet has hurt theodicy or made theodicy a even bigger problem than it was before. Theodicy, how can God be good while the world is suffering? In part because we're, we're leveraging so many other people's pain for philosophical arguments against God. Yep. That's good. And, and it's pain that we're not c- connected to. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and often you would find the people who are going through that find God, not always, and, you know, I don't want to do the opposite, be on the opposite side of the thing I'm against right now. Um, Often it is, uh, they find great comfort in God's Mm -hmm. presence. But because we're so far removed from it, we just see, you know, the the smoke and ashes. I, I did a sermon series uh, a while back where I had people talk about the different struggles they've gone through. And one of the weeks we we're talking about people who went through grief of, of a loss of a loved one. And 
there's a lot of, you know, I, I really struggle with, uh, you know, knowing that God loved me. One person said, when, when my spouse passed away, I felt like God didn't love me. And so I kind of was expecting that when I was talking to some of our friends who've gone through uh, the experience of being a refugee. And one of them said, but God is good all the time. And I was like, wait a minute, let's, let's do this sort of like doubt, transparency. Stuff. No, no, no. I f- but like, in all yeah, this, yeah. I knew God was good. And God was good in all this. I'm like, okay, well, kind of ruined my point here. I was expecting something else. But <laughs> this isn't good for fun, right? <laughs> Again. <laughs> but you can't expect when I steal someone else's suffering as an example for my point, I'm the one being dishonest in that moment. Mm, yeah. But I mean, okay, so, but then there, I do know people who have gone through suffering, yeah. and you do too, and, and it's very mm-hmm. much that. And so, you know, I don't know. But you I, can't make a universal to... statement on either side, right? Right. And I think the internet makes it yeah, worse. Because you, you reduce people down to just sermon illustrations or examples of your point. Yeah, and that's just not healthy. Um, have you ever heard of preemptive love before? Did you do it? Yeah, I've been. Uh, we made a connection, I think, through Scott McKnight's blog a few mm-hmm. years ago, and uh, followed each other on Twitter. And I've been, uh, you know, I was really impressed watching the stuff that he was saying about when ISIS was, you know, kind of encroaching on where they were. Even even the conversation where he's like, you know, it's not that bad. ISIS is like <laughs> forty five minutes away. <laughs> like, oh gosh. <laughs> Oh, that's like Clyde, Texas to me. That's really close. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I feel like it's the end of the world because my ice cream is like that I really love is three hours away up in Denton. He thinks it's not the end of the world Mm -hmm. when ISIS is 45 minutes away. And again, no one ever said he's as good of, or that I'm as good of a person as he is. Um, Yeah, no, no, that's true. They haven't. Um, I've gotten Solomon more than, hey, Luke, you're as good of a person. (laughs) You've never got. I'm just saying. saying That is one. That's one. Okay. (laughs) Doesn't count if you do. All right. So, another thing that I did was have a conversation with Sean Adams, transition level professional. Um, (laughs) That was great. That was great. I like it when you have him on. I want to meet him. I want to meet you. No, he. You don't. You say the no, I, he just he never said that he wanted to meet you. So it was just a truthful thing. Kent Dobson, I was not lying. Wasn't bending the truth. Kent would be proud of me for that. Yeah, no, no, Sean's great. Um, we got on like two, uh, twice I referenced uh, Kaepernick this month in the podcast. And yeah, you, you, it's been a, a I don't, I think we're just football season starting. I don't have bonnets. Um, I can't wait. Yeah, but. Anyway, Colin Kaepernick, you're welcome to join us for service if you're in Austin. Just want you to know you've got love here. Um, but, I, like, here's the thing. Like, his, the Colin Kaepernick stuff, because of Kaepernick's unwillingness to participate in the media game, like, he's not doing big interviews. He's, you don't see him on CNN. You don't see him on 60 Minutes. He's not on Fox News. Like, he, it, it's easy for him to get sucked into being an example for someone else's point because of, his silence and his unwillingness to take all this attention that he has or could have and use it for whatever he wants to use it for. I mean, obviously he's still doing stuff, yeah. but anyway. Yeah. I, I, uh, I thought that was an interesting point Sean made that he's not, he's not like, I, I hadn't thought of that, that he's not writing op-ed pieces or whatnot. He's just yep. doing stuff. 
kind of yep. just like that. Um, okay, so you 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 and Sean, since the last time we have talked and done wrap up, um, people have uh, mostly white millennial men with your haircut have gotten tiki torches and with marched khaki pants on. In, with in khaki pants. Yeah, the I mean, banality the, of evil is on display in tiki torches. That's and right, khaki pants. If they didn't have your haircut, you'd be like, "Oh, they're <laughs> monsters!" But now it's the banality of evil because you're like, "Fuck, oh, they they know style and fashion." I mean, yeah, <laughs> even it is the Hitler Youth haircut. I mean, it's it's not like we didn't see this coming. <laughs> Okay, next subject. So, Let's keep moving. Since, since we have done, <laughs> you don't know about your haircut and the way that they blasphemed it. Um, so, since we talked last, yeah. that happened. And it, you know, on one level, I think uh, for a lot of people it was really shocking because it destroyed the illusion mm-hmm. of progress, which probably needed to be destroyed. People are always going to have, um, there's always going to be evil. Um, until the age to come. But this is really shocking because these are people walking around without Mm -hmm. masks on, um, chanting really bad stuff. I mean, chanting stuff that our grandparents or somewhere around that age group went over and fought the people in Germany who were saying blood and sore, whatever the the chant is. And it's just... yeah. It's mind-blowing to think that this is... How, what's? It's mind-blowing the way it's displayed. It's not mind-blowing that this sort of hatred and animosity is out. That's not surprising. But the way it's being displayed is, is shocking. Did you get... Did you see the Vice I watched... Yeah, I watched documentary. part of it. Um, oh, that yeah. was rough. Um, did you guys... Did you say anything at uh, Highland the Sunday after? Yeah, um, and we had like a prayer vigil and stuff for Charlottesville that night because you just, I mean, you don't know what to do. Like, there's, although it does feel like the civil rights movement gives you a little <laughs> bit of a blueprint for, <laughs> well, we don't want to. Okay, so here's a question for Sean and He's not here right. He's not uh, other here black right leaders out there. Um, but, okay, one of the things on the podcast and one thing that's racing through my head is, you know, don't be silent. Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. Um, I read a couple of months ago this book, Preaching in the Shadow of Hitler, that was done, written about all the, the ways that preachers stood up against the Nazi regime in Nazi Germany. And they're preaching in a time where, you know, like the Gestapo is mm-hmm. in your church or you could be reported really easily by people. And so they're dancing around. You know, that you can't say Jesus was a Jew, you can't preach from the Old Testament, you can't preach from the Psalms, you can't preach from Paul, because Paul seemed to think there was no Jew or Gentile. Um, and they're dancing around all these things, but they keep, like, pushing. Um, and so one of the things that this book says, is, as he's publishing all these sermons, is there there are three options for preaching in these kind of times. One, be a prophet and deal with the consequences. Two, don't do any, just, you know, preach the quotation mark gospel, which has nothing to do with anybody's life. Um, you know, it's irrelevant, going to heaven when you die, just 
don't mm-hmm. whine cuss. You know, the sermons you preach. And then three, uh, the, the third one was more the pastor prophet, which is love people, let them know you love them, and then challenge them in appropriate times and places. But just, and so Ross Dutat, the New York Times columnist, says one of the things that we often fail to notice about uh, those white moderate preachers is that during the civil rights movement, one of the most uh, important things is white churches' inability to come up with a counter-civil rights movement. And he credits that to those preach those pastor prophets. And um, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah. I could I could rail. I, could, I see the injustice, but at some point, yeah, you you lose the people you're trying there to convince. Was this, um, I read a book um, <clears throat> a month or two ago uh, about uh, it's called Decision Makers. It was about um, like how, how ideas get uh, get connected and how they go viral, so to speak. And there was a guy mm-hmm. who um, invented everything from the Lucky Strikes stripes uh, cigarette thing, like case that was a big deal. Stri- yeah. Strikes, yeah, he smoked more than me. Um, to the way that railroad cards are designed, uh, I think it was like he, he was understood as a big deal. Like Dewey was his name, uh, major designer. Yeah, yeah. John Dewey. Um, and he had a line where it was most advanced yet acceptable, most advanced yet acceptable. So, like, if you go too far, it's not going to be acceptable, and your message won't be heard. And so you're always thinking, how can I push this thing forward without it turning too far? Otherwise it's going to be destroyed. And that's the tension of your silent white moderate who says, I'm not going to advance this too far. Otherwise I become a prophet and we know what happens to them. And so I'm playing the long game here and there's, okay, I can see that. Now, obviously in hindsight, it looks like you're on the wrong side of history because you weren't doing what Dr. King was saying. Like the sin of the real sin is, is being silent, but I'm, I'm just thinking of like uh, Ethel Hughes, uh, who goes to Highland, who preached in Alabama in the 60s. And I asked him about it. And he said, man, I wish I would have said, I, I wish I would have said more. But what I did do was, um, and he listed off these things like uh, if an elder made a racist joke, he, he reprimanded him, like in front of other people or... Um, you know, there he would. He said repeatedly, "They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are not your the issue that you're afraid of." And he did some stuff like invited civil civil rights workers who came to see if a church would be willing to integrate. Um, invited them in and sat with them in church. He didn't preach against the thing at the time. Like um, I, it, but but maybe he did. Maybe yeah, he did it's eventually. Tough to- Take the side where you go. No, Doctor King, you're wrong about the civil rights movement. It's it's a hard position right. to take. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad. Right, but I'm just trying to figure out for now, like, because um, these are these are the people that I know. I mean, when I when I saw the Charlottesville rally, the thing I thought immediately was, I know those really? guys. Yeah, I mean, I don't but, actually know them, but I grew up around that, and these these guys are not foreign hmm. to me. They're just, um, you know, the, the way Sean described them in 
what was that movie that he said was bad, but a good example. They're, you know, ostracized. I think they felt some shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and now they're coming together. Yeah. And I think it's a... It seems like this is so, a different situation because the civil rights movement, you're the majority talking about the minority um, that's being oppressed. This one, like the majority of people say this is wrong, and there's a minority. As, as, yeah, I would love to know the percentage uh, who would say, you know what, what those people were protesting in Charlottesville, they're right. Like, I think it's such a minority right. of people. It seems like it. Well, okay, so I think that's what everybody in the in the world is wanting to know yeah. the percentage, because um, I don't think they're the majority, and I don't think even the majority of Trump voters. Would be like, but yeah, that's every us. church. Um, I don't. I can't say every. I feel like every one of my friends who's a preacher said something against this the Sunday after. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, this is the church is called to do that because this is not a sin. This is this is not a, a crime. Hmm. This is a sin. Hmm. Like this is a Christian problem. Because yeah. um, you remember that Atlantic article that we've talked about before. The alt right likes. I quoted this and the first sermon of our series yesterday, but the alt-right likes Christendom, but it does not yep. like Christianity. Yep. I get it. Because Christianity doesn't put a premium on yep. blood and soil. That's good. That's true. That's true. Um, okay, well, I hope Sean eventually wants to meet you. I'm not saying it's going to happen for sure, but if he does... He's yeah. a good guy. Well, maybe one day you'll be friends. Okay, uh, i got to get out of here soon, but uh, we also had uh, your parishioner, Richard Beck, and my friend, Wade Hodges, on. Yeah, I like Wade's. I like Wade's Good stuff guys. about how um, we don't like the humanity in the Bible. Um, yeah, yeah. The way it was with Jesus that Max Licato kind of reintroduced the humanity with of Jesus with God came near to churches, and and it seems like that's happening in the Bible. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Did you? Did it bother you as Richard Beck's pastor to hear him talking about spending time with prostitutes? Do you ever feel like, hey? <clears throat> Richie, I I am just really proud okay. to know right. him. Like the the Becks are such great people. Love. I did, you know I didn't know his next book was yeah, coming out I, so uh, quick. I've got a galley copy of it sitting on my desk next to me. So yeah, it's soon, soon and very soon. We're gonna see it. I don't know what else. I didn't. I haven't read it yet. It looks nice though. But anyway. Yeah. Well, I look forward to reading yep. it too. Hey, um, Richard. I don't have a galley copy. Oh, yet. that's weird. So if you hear this, um, my church credit card <laughs> turned off because he really has been so turned off. I would. <laughs> I would appreciate a copy. <laughs> uh, well. Uh, it was it yeah. was a fun trip, man. I got glad we got to do it. Yep. And I'm hey, you're going to be very series. excited, Jonathan. We've got the next Why? episode of the podcast is going to have a Calvinist on it, so you are finally going to feel like your people oh, are coming on over. How do you think I am like, a Calvinist? We've long since talked it. Like that's eventually going to happen. No, you just keep bringing this it just up. Seems Bo. Like era. I feel like that's what's happening. <laughs> so what am I reacting from? Like just all this radical freedom <laughs> that I'm feeling. <laughs> just you know, I really want to be yeah, micromanaged. You want to come on over to the uh, to the dark side. That's what it is. 
Yeah. Okay, um, we we also need to have a shout out to our youth ministers. Who's who's doing the who's doing who's the Calvinist? Um, okay, so did you see? Let me finish my shout out to the youth ministers who've come back from summer, and they're going to catch back up to the podcast. I'd one say, hey, you need to do an entire summer long wrap up to remind us of everything we missed. Um, that's the, <laughs> the, rap, the the podcast yeah, still like back are out there while you're taking a week. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Um, Way to go, yeah, student ministers. You. You're we doing good you. work. I'm glad I don't have to do your job. The um, Did you see Brian Zahn's book had this <laughs> critique by Derek... What is his... Rod, I just talked to him like an hour ago. I can't say his last name again. Um, Rod, Redman? Red, I don't know. Swanson, I knew it. Um, anyway, this... You'll recognize his name when I link it on the podcast. But he wrote... Is that a Dumb and Dumb reference? Um, But he wrote an 11,000-word blog post critiquing VZ. Yes. Is that right? 11,000 words? And then there's a follow-up. That's a sixth of a book. Uh, Or a fifth. I mean, there's a lot of good books that aren't 60,000 words. Um, You can still buy them. But uh, anyway, (laughs) yeah, so that's the next one. And then BZ is going to retort a little bit afterwards. Wait, so you're going to interview the guy who wrote an 11,000? You're interviewing that guy about sinners in the hands yes. of Yes, I already okay. did that one, and then BZ is going to come on, and he's going to do... We're going to talk a little bit about a few of the issues. How was it? How was the We'll, we'll talk about that one in the next wrap-up, won't we? Okay. It was good. It, here's, right. the, here's the best thing. Uh, he said, hey, can we pray first? I was like, I've done 200 podcasts and no one's ever said, can we pray before we do this? So leave it to the Calvinists to bring prayer in. <laughs> yeah. All right, dude. Well, cool, man. Um, all right. Well, it was a good month. Look forward to hearing the, the showdown. Right, Thanks for checking out Newsworthy right. with Snoresworthy. Yeah. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned. <laughs>